Today we are going to be talking a bit about freedom, personal freedom. Last week, you'll know, um, we were starting to finish out this book on the untethered soul by Michael Singer. And last week, the topic was, how do we go beyond our own self-imposed limits? It was really a study of beyond limits, if you will, how to go right up to the edge of our comfort zone, perhaps take a deep breath sometimes, and just keep on walking right to whatever is new, whatever is possible, whatever is great that we are meant to be. So that was last week. This week, though, I'm going to be a little bit more proactive. I'm going to assume that we have made that step and we're no longer worried about our comfort zones. We're no longer worried about some of the self-imposed limitations that we've just picked up over the years. And we really want to start experiencing something that I'm going to call unconditional happiness. Before we get there, though, I, naturally, I found a joke about happiness, and I thought I would share it with you all. All right. A cat died and went to heaven. God met her at the pearly gates and says, you know, you've been a great cat all these years. What would make you happy? Just ask, and it is yours. Well, the cat thought for a moment and said, you know, all my life, I've lived on a farm and slept on hard wooden floors in the barn. I'd like a, just a nice, lovely, fluffy pillow to sleep on. God said, say no more, and instantly the cat had a huge, fluffy pillow. A few days later, six mice were killed in an accident, and they all went to heaven together. God met the mice at the gates with the same question. What would make you eternally happy? The mice said, well, you know, we've had to run all of our lives from various animals, even people sometimes, if we could just have some little roller skates, we would never have to run again. God answered, it is done. And all the mice had beautiful, cunning little roller skates. About a week later, God thought he would follow up on, on some of the new creatures in heaven. So he decided to check up on the cat. He found her sound asleep on her fluffy pillow. God gently awakened the cat and asked, is everything okay? How are things going? The cat replied, oh, it's so wonderful. I've never been so happy in my life. This pillow is so fluffy, and I really want to thank you for the Meals on Wheels. <laughs> All right. Not, not a lot of metaphysical meaning in that one. But it does bring up the question, I think, is happiness an absolute? Right? Or can happiness be different things to different people? Well, before we start talking about unconditional happiness, because I think it is a new term, and it's going to require us to shift our mind a little bit if we want to be unconditionally happy, I want to start off by talking about something that perhaps we know a little better, and that's the idea of unconditional love. And I'd like to sort of explain at least what unconditional love to, to, means to me in my life based on a, a story, uh, something that happened to me uh, quite a few years ago. So about 15, 16 years ago, I was working for the telephone company, and much to my consternation, they assigned me to Omaha, Nebraska all one winter. <laughs> And although the people in Omaha are lovely, if you think this week was cold, try Omaha in the winter. Anyway, there were a sea of us assigned from the telephone company there to help them through a computer programming effort. And about 25 of us were trapped in an area, oh gosh, 
probably maybe about half the size of this room. And I literally shared a desk with someone. I mean, not just a cubicle or a workspace, but literally there was a desk about this big and I was on one side and my, fr my brand new friend that I'd never met, Sue, sat on the other side. And what I learned about Sue was that she had somewhat of a complicated life. She was on the phone a lot. She was absent a lot. And what I began to realize, a lot of these phone calls were involving lawyers and counselors. And one day she put down, her head down on the desk and was just crying. So I'm trying to comfort her a little bit. And her story began to, to come out and, and come to find out her son was um, in prison currently and awaiting trial for murder. And, and the more she talked about it, the more I realized, you know, this wasn't an accidental death. You know, this was a premeditated murder. And in fact, that as this boy was, had been growing up, he was currently 17 by being tried as an adult, there had been many other incidences, you know, just short of murder prior to that. Now, unconditional love is when... Sue was gone several times to be at trials with this young man, to be perhaps the only person there to, to witness him and be supportive of him. She was frequently left early so she could get to the prison for visiting hours. And even though she herself would tell you society would probably be better with this young man locked up, there was unconditional love that she felt for this young man. And that has always stuck with me. It has always stuck with me that there is something different between condoning the behaviors of people and still in your own heart, knowing that there is that germ of God-given goodness, that there is that love that you can feel for someone, regardless of what they've done, you know, what they've grown up to be, you know, the thoughts that they may have, the compulsions they may have. Nonetheless, we can unconditionally love someone. Now, I think that's perhaps common for parents and children, right? It's like we love our children, whether they get an, you know, the occasional bad grade, whether they occasionally fib, whether they take the car keys when we're ready to have them drive or not, right? I mean, you can list out a variety of things that would probably have you right up to the limit of what you can deal with in a child and absolutely love them. No question of it, love them. All right, so that I think is my definition and hopefully a good definition of what unconditional love is. It's love that exists regardless of what's going on on the outside. It exists rain or shine, it exists feast or famine, whatever is going on, love will be present. All right, so what is love anyway? It's a set of feelings, right? It's a set of emotions and a set of ideas. It's an, it's an internal thing, right? And certainly you would agree that different people will experience different love with, di with different people as well. I mean, I actually had the occasion of meeting the young man, you know, Sue's son, and of course I didn't feel any love for him. I, and I agreed with her after meeting him that it probably would be better for society if he was taken out of circulation, so to speak, right? So I had a very different you know, impression of this young man than she did. So love obviously depends on what? It depends on us. It depends on relationships. It depends on our own personal situation. So what is this thing called unconditional happiness then? I am here to suggest that happiness, like love, 
is something that we can put on and keep with us forever. Now there's a little bit of jump of faith here that you're going to have to to make with me because we're not used to thinking about our feelings and emotions as being something that we have a lot of control over. And I think that one of the reasons the idea of unconditional love works is that we just love our kids. It's kind of like it's kind of like when they're born and we first see them, it's like there's some kind of glue that happens. I don't know how to describe it. But it's it's less of an act of volition and almost just like falling into something beautiful, right? Okay. But what I am here to tell you is that nonetheless is a feeling that indwells within us like all of our other feelings and so does happiness. Now, it may not like being falling into a pool of happiness never to get out again. I wish that were true. I wish it was like meeting a baby for the first time and the love is just there until the end of time. But I am here to tell you that we can do something very similar in our own hearts and in our own minds around happiness. And the idea of unconditional happiness is simply that Again, no matter what happens, regardless of time, no matter what events come our way, no matter what life looks like, we can choose to be happy. That would be unconditional happiness. And so if our happiness is conditional, when it's conditional, it means we're at the effect of the world, right? It means that every little thing that comes our way has that potential for disturbing our happiness. So I'm having a happy day, I'm on my way to church, car cuts me off right on the freeway, right? Here's the choice point. I can say to myself, well, (laughs) you can imagine what some people might say to themselves, and you know, (laughs) I'm the minister, so I'm not going to say that, but... (laughs) But you can imagine what might be said if something like that happens, and that's a choice point. You could let something like that disturb you for the entire day, right? You could get a letter, which I did not too long ago, from the IRS, suggesting that maybe two years ago my taxes weren't filed completely correctly and that maybe I owed them some money. Now, I could have let that color my whole week, right? Of course we can. There are things that come up nearly every day that are very troublesome in our lives. There are things that come up every day that give us great pause, really shaking the foundation of, you know, am I going to have a good day or not? And what I'm here to tell you is we have a choice. When we resist things that are coming our way, we are basically saying, I'm going to skip over happiness today in favor of reacting to the car that cut me off, the unpleasant telephone call, the letter from the IRS, the bill that was higher than I expected, the bad hairdo I got, you know, whatever it is. Every single time that we put aside our ability to feel happiness, we are saying this other thing is more important. And what I'm here to tell you is it's something that we don't even want most of the time. Why are we going to let something that we patently don't want, you know, the, I don't know, the pain of a bad telephone call, the remembering of a, something that happened in the car, the, you know, you name the, the quote, bad thing that happened. Why are we going to allow that to run our lives? Why are we choosing that over happiness? So I want to read you a short quote from this, this great book called The Untethered Soul. He says, this is the human predicament Events have happened and we continue to hold their energy inside of us by resisting them. 
Now when we face today's events, we are neither prepared to receive them nor capable of enjoying them. This is because we're still struggling, struggling with our past energies. Over time, the energies can build up to the point that a person becomes so blocked that they either blow up or shut down completely. And this is what it means to get stressed out or burned out. If you do not let this energy build up inside you, but instead allow each moment of the day simply to pass through you, then you can be fresh every moment, just as you would be on a stress-free vacation. It is not life's events that are causing problems or stress. It is our resistance to life's events that are causing the experience. So is this good news or bad news? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, sometimes knowing that I'm in charge is a good thing, and other times knowing that I'm in charge, yikes. You know? I mean, think about it. Can I really choose happiness? You know, it reminds me of a story that I've told before. Um, my ex-partner and I one time went out to dinner, and uh, oh gosh, I had a lovely time. You know, the meal was good. It was a restaurant we'd never been to. And, and it was, you know, kind of fun evaluating a new place to eat out and really noticing how pretty the decor was and how friendly the staff was and things like that. And, and, and so we had our meal and came home. And the next day I overheard my ex talking to a friend of his over the phone saying about what an awful experience it had been. <laughs> that the food was laid and that his meal had been undercooked and that the, the, the waiters had been too friendly, that it had kind of <laughs> intruded into you know, our personal experience and that the decor was way too funky for that scale, you know, price point of a restaurant. And I thought to myself, oh my God, truly happiness is absolutely, absolutely just in the eye of the beholder. The person who is right there is having their experience and someone right next to them maybe having a completely different experience. And for those of you from large families, I'm sure that if you ever talk about, you know, some Christmas uh, from 10 years ago or whatnot, one of you might remember, oh yeah, that was the Christmas, that was my favorite Christmas when I got the whatever, and one of your brothers or sisters goes, are you kidding? That was the Christmas from hell. That was the year, you know, when the, the turkey burned up and things like that. And, and what it is, honestly, each of us is making choices on how we interpret the world and we're coming up to our own conclusions of happy or not happy. And we do it almost instantaneously. We do it with each passing event that comes our way. Is this, quote, making me happy? Or is this, quote, making me unhappy or upset? But back to this idea of empowerment, we're really making the choices. And in the same way that my coworker was making choices to stick by her son, I'm telling you, you deserve to have you stick by your own self and choose happiness. When that little blip comes your way and unsettles you, you know, when you get the letter in the mail that you didn't want to receive, when you get the phone call that is from someone you didn't want to talk to, when you're in that position of unrest or disquiet, you can simply choose to feel differently. 
Okay, so I'm going to give you some tips here, right? Because it still sounds a little overwhelming. I'm sure right now everyone in this room is probably thinking if such and such happened to Larry, I would really like to see him say, oh, I'm happy. Do you know what I mean? I would really like to see him break down on the freeway and come out of it saying he's happy. I would just like to see that. I would really like to see a leak in his roof at home just to see what he would do. I mean, we'll fix, we'll fix the leak later, but I would just like to see his face and see him say, oh no, oh no, I'm so happy. And, and, the, and the reason I said it that way is, have any of you seen the Dalai Lama lately? Because that man is always blissed out. And I saw him, uh, I said, well, and it's a good thing. I saw him about a year and a half ago on, on a daytime talk show. It was amazing. And you could tell that he was suffering from some kind of like a flu or a really bad cold because he was even having difficulty speaking. And I thought to myself, you know, anyone else on the planet would have had his people call their people and say, you know, the llama's out for the day. It's like, you know, he can't be on stage. But here, this man, who, who totally you could tell he was ill, was not only there and doing the interview, but he was having the time of his life. He was choosing to be happy, even though his throat could barely get his croak out. So how can we go about making better choices? How can we go about holding our own selves in a place of, conditional, of unconditional happiness? Okay. The first thing that they suggest in this book, which I think is wonderful, is to simply ask a question. When something comes your way that is distressing, you ask the question, is this really about me or is it just something that happened? Now, there are things that come our way that we need to address, right? And, and sometimes they're pleasant and sometimes they're unpleasant. And, and of course, when something comes our way that we need to act upon, well, we need to act upon it. But what this question is getting at, when the person cuts you off on the freeway, right? When the roof starts leaking, when your car blows a tire, is this something that is about you or is it just something that happened? Because if it's just something that happened, if it doesn't in some way really affect the inner core of who you are, if you don't really need to make changes inwardly, then so what? Why not be happy? If I'm going to have to have that tire changed, why wouldn't I be happy while I'm doing it, if, if it's a choice, right? If the roof is leaking, why would I want to spend a day angrily getting estimates? Do you know what I mean? Instead, I could have a day happily getting estimates. So if it is just something that happened, this one, I think, can be fairly easily approached with the idea of, well, I've got a real choice here. I can deal with this and be happy, or I can, you know, spend the next three days really in a miserable funk, and the choice is mine. Okay, hopefully that's kind of an easy one. The second one requires a little bit more pondering, but I like it, and that is when something um, untoward, when something that you're not really liking comes your way, something that would seem to disturb your happiness, the book suggests that you ask the question, what would I do if this were the very last week of my life? 
And I did a little research. I had a little bit of fun this week. I did some research on uh, near-death experiences. And uh, the author and, uh, and teacher, Kenneth Ring, has um, done interviews over thousands and thousands of people who've had near-death experiences. And, of course, he's published a couple books. First of all, did you know that near-death experiences are actually somewhat common? Um, over 23 million adult cases of near-death experiences have, have been reported and documented in the United States. So this isn't something that's, you know, only one out of every 10,000 people happens to. And so the, the sample size of people interviewed was actually quite large. And the question uh, was put to Kenneth Ring, how does a near-death experience change a person's life? And he said, first of all, the most powerful antidote to the fear of death is coming close to death. And so one of the things that typically people report when they've had a near-death experience is that death no longer frightens them. The thought of actually, you know, their life on this planet coming to, a, you know, a physical end doesn't trouble them because they know, they just know, there's a sense in them that, that cannot be uh, doubted, really, that there's something beyond this life, that life is eternal, and really it's like, uh, like putting on a different jacket. I mean, a little more traumatic than that, but... <laughs> But do you know what I mean? That there is, clearly, there is clearly something beyond and therefore not something that needs to be feared. But I think what is interesting is the third thing that nearly everyone reports as being true for them is that they are profoundly appreciative of being alive. They start making different choices in their lives that have to do with friends and families and situations. There's less emphasis on the stuff going on in their life. Many people do dramatic career changes after that. Many people uh, have really lifestyle changes so that they're spending more time with family and friends, less time at the office or doing things alone. People re uh, report remarkable changes in their behaviors because there's a sense of what we have here being so important. And so in The Untethered Soul, when Michael Singer talks about um, this question that he asks us to ask ourselves when something comes up that disturbs our happiness, what would I do? What would I think? How would I behave if this were the last week of my life? And it does a few things. First of all, do you even want to be spending your time with whatever it is that's coming your way, right? Is it really important? The second thing is, if this is the last week of your life, you probably want to be relating to people in a fairly clean way, a way that's really honoring to them. You don't want a lot of you know, mess to clean up later because who knows when that later is going to happen. So it's really the idea of living on purpose. It's really the idea of, okay, so this thing is coming at me that I'm not liking, that's disturbing my happiness. Is this even an issue for me? Can I just let it die its little natural death in front of me and I'm going to sail on by? Is this worth being disturbed over? Because what I know is that there's something more important. What I know is I have a family to be with. What I know is that there are people and things in my life that are more important than this, than, than whatever this little upset is. So that is his second suggestion. Ask yourself, what would I do if this were my very last week on this planet? Would it be an issue? Would it be perhaps someone I might choose to forgive? 
when before maybe forgiveness would not have been thought of? Is it really important? Or can it simply be let go of? All right. So those are the two little bit of homework assignments, if you will, for this week. When something rotten comes your way, is there, is there like a little nursery rhyme? Some, something trouble comes my way. I can't even remember how that works now. But when something rotten comes your way, when you get the phone call that's disturbing, when the tire goes flat or the roof leaks, when, the, uh, when your best friend sends something unkind to you and then hangs up the phone before, before you get a chance to say anything, remember you are at choice. And so your homework this week is go ahead and be mad if you want to be mad. Go ahead and be upset if you want to be upset. Your homework is to simply recognize you are making a choice. So a very clean homework assignment. And I'm looking forward to hearing how we do um, in in the next few weeks. Feel free to ask me how I'm doing because I've been paying really close attention to this myself And when something goes on that's going to disturb my happiness quotient, I say to myself, what's the choice I'm going to make? Could I be happy? And if I'm going to be pissed off, if I'm going to be angry, then is that how I want to spend my time? That's a choice. So I'm going to close with another quote from this book and a prayer, of course. The beauty is that you can experience ecstasy. And when, be, and when you begin to feel this joy, that's when you'll know God's true nature. Then nobody will upset or disappoint you. Nothing will create a problem. It will all appear as part of the beautiful dance of creation unfolding before you. Your natural state will simply get higher. You'll feel love instead of shame, instead of being unwilling to lift your eyes to the divine because of what you've said or done in the past. You'll see the divine as a place of unconditional refuge, a place of unconditional happiness. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called love. It is this power of life. Sometimes we call it God. We call it Brahman. We call it the great and powerful Earth Mother. It doesn't matter what you call it. What I know about it is that it is love. It is that place of unconditional love and unconditional happiness. It is that abundance with which everyone is supplied with everything that we need. And because this is true in general, I know without question that it means me. I know that my life is full of joy, that my life is full of the happiness that I desire, that I choose. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has that greater awareness of being at choice in terms of what they feel, how they react, what they do, that come what may, unconditional happiness is at hand if we but accept it. I also know for each person in this room that there is that willingness simply to experience more joy, more happiness, to focus on it rather than the things that come our way that are less than happy. And I am simply grateful for this. I'm grateful to be here in the power and the presence of God as it takes the form of each person in this room. Glad to be here and know that each of us fundamentally is at choice. And so I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself, knowing that it is done already in that heavenly place and here for us to see the fruits 
in this world. I let it be, and so it is. So it is. And thank you all for being here today. Thank you.